Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Variety's theater editor, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Rachel Bloom, the Golden Globe-winning star and co-creator of the CWTV series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's a musical comedy about a New York lawyer who thinks she'll find happiness at last by moving across the country to pursue a romance with a childhood crush. As anyone who's watched the show, or the YouTube videos in which she first attracted attention, or who caught her as the backstage host of the Tonys this year, Rachel is clearly a theater fan at heart. She's in the studio today to talk to us about the developments on recent episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and I'll also ask her about her proud theater geekdom, what it's like to work with so many theater actors on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and when we'll see her on Broadway. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for being here. Oh, my God. My pleasure. So... People know you from your work on TV and on YouTube, but it's very obvious that you are a theater kid. When did you find theater and how'd you do it? I found it uh, apparently when I was in the womb. My mother <laughs> my mother plays piano and sings. My mother would play piano and I'd kick, oh. um, which is such a like theater kid thing. <laughs> it say. sounds a little bit like you're making it up. But it's I'm <laughs> not, but like, um, I just started performing really, really young. Um, mm. My mother played piano so she'd play piano I'd sing my grandfather was an amateur director actor and stand-up comedian who sold technical manuals by day and so very quickly taught me he taught me um all I do is dream of you from singing in the rain and I remember my grandparents had a coffee table that was the perfect size for a little kid's stage and I'd go up and sing and I was an only child and just very naturally just took to it and craved attention which is the root of wanting to be an actor. People who are like, I like acting because it allows me to explore, you know, the innermost art of... No, no, you like it because you like the attention, and that's okay. Right, that's okay, right? That's yeah. okay, that's the root of it for all of us. Yeah. We're all, you know, broken. And so <laughs> so what are your favorite musicals? Oh, my God, what are my favorite musicals? I mean, honestly, I'll f- can, I, can I curse? Yeah. Fucking love Hamilton. Yeah, good. Assassins, so two historical musicals. Oh, yeah. Um... I, it's like, I mean, it's real, like, I'm trying to, like, A Sunday in the Park, uh, well, I mean, Chicago and Cabaret. Do you do you remember the song? Well, you mentioned that song from Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Was that one of, what were sort of the early songs that got you really hooked in? Oh, that one, Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, Castle uh-huh. on a Cloud. There are a lot of videos of me singing Castle on a Cloud. <laughs> a lot of piano recitals of me singing Castle on a Cloud, A Part of Your World. So you play piano? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not well. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm really not a. It, I'm, right. I'm a, not a great pianist. I'm much more of a lyricist than a composer. Okay. Um, I'm good at uh, finding hooks and, and finding and I can find the hooks and the chords under it, but I'm really not. Um, it's very, very, very secondary to lyrics and rhythm. Okay. Um, right. Lyrics right. and rhythm, if that makes any. Yeah. Yeah. Lyrical rhythm. Rhythm? Rhythm, rhythm in. Does rhythm fall under the lyrics side or the composing side? I because think, to, I think it can be both. Because to me, they go together. When yeah. I write, I love how I'm asking myself, like, to, like lyrics and rhythm. Even before I have a melody, or or if someone else writes the melody, they kind of go hand in hand. Anyway, I digress. What was the question? <laughs> I'm so tired, that but was, also I'm having such a good time. I'm delighted. <laughs> um, a colleague of mine and I have an ongoing discussion about what our favorite bad musical theater lyrics are. Oh. Do you have any of those? Uh, I never knew his name. From the Civil War by Frank Wildhorn. Oh. It's just 
repeating over and over, I never knew his name. And it's just like, I never knew his name. I never knew his name. That one's not great. Um, Suffice to say, here's the thing. A lot of musical theater is not good. Right. Um, And, you know, you like to think, oh, there's really, really, really good theater being put up in, like, these little pockets. And there is. But from my experience living in New York, a lot of it isn't. I mean, I was in a Donald Trump musical. I was in a reading of a Donald Trump musical. I mean, this is 10 years ago. Yeah. It wasn't great. It <laughs> right. really wasn't great. Right. Um, there are a lot of, like, blank the musicals yeah. um, put it- up by people who otherwise wouldn't write comedy, but they're, like, comedically inclined. I feel a little bad because I feel like in interviews I've been a little snobby about musical theater and been like, oh, a lot of it isn't funny and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, musical theater is hard to write. And, yep. and I've written some fucking shit I mean right. we've all written shit and I think that musical theater is really really hard to do right yeah yeah. and it it's very so it's very clear that some of the numbers in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend are sort of overt homages to musical theater numbers what have been some of your favorites well, so far well this season we did a song called The Moment Is Me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was kind of our we all wrote me and Jack me Jack Dolgen and Adam Schlesinger uh, were the three songwriters of the show we wrote that together, and it's basically everything we all hate about musical theater. I mean, I'm the biggest musical theater fan of the three of us by far. And so there are some parts of the song that I like. It's very emotional. I mean, Adam wrote such a beautiful melody for it. Um, right. Our writer's assistant, actually, we recorded her singing an earnest version of that song. But anyway, <laughs> uh, there was a... I did a couple things in college where we were made to sing songs like The Moment Is Me where the lyrics were not too far where it was like we're young we're full of dreams and it's it's just so easy and saccharine so that that's very close to my heart talking about it on a Stagecraft podcast um, yep. uh, I think that one of our best songs we've ever run done is the one Josh Groban sang this season mm-hmm. yeah um, that was a delightful surprise the end of the movie yeah, yeah and he sang that so so well um uh, and then musical theater. I mean, God, we have so many musical theater-inspired songs. I mean, the first song on the show, West Covina, that's that's the musical theater gig at me. And then the right. partner to it, A Diagnosis, which we just did right. in a it's recent episode. One of my favorites so far. Thank you so much. And yeah. that's very much like the um, the more in, the slightly more enlightened twin of the West Covina song. Yeah, interesting. In many ways. Because gonna... it's, it's, there's an earnestness and a heart to it. And yeah. in the West Covina song, she tosses her coat to somebody and he catches it. And in The Diagnosis, she tosses an envelope to the same guy. And he catches it. Oh, wow. Yeah, same actor. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was initially the idea of Aileen Brush McKenna, who co-created the show with you, right? Yes. What did you who's res- also the showrunner. Who's and, also and the really showrunner. And really, like, the, right. b- the boss. Right, right. Um, and so what did you respond to in that idea, initially? It and- was just so emotionally true, and it was a trope that I felt like needed to be explored and deconstructed and, like, was... It just seemed like perfect for the dark comedy that I'd always yeah. wanted to do. And it overlapped with something you had written at the time called Broadway Crazy. Yes. I read that somewhere. Yes. I, I, I have a full musical written called Broadway Crazy that's about a girl. It's a basically a fucked up, thoroughly modern Millie, 42nd Street. And it's about a girl who... The, I'll just tell you, the opening number is called Hello, New York. And it goes... I always pine for fame inside my padded cell so it wasn't hard to stab that guard. Hello, New York. And basically, it's about a girl who escaped from a mental institution. This is like takes place in the 20s to become a Broadway star. There are some 
as the show has gone forward, I mean, one of the biggest similarities is one of her obsessions is with fire and burning things down. Huh. Independently of that, the idea of Rebecca burning things down was created by Aline in the writer's room when I wasn't in there. And she was like, we think that Rebecca's going to burn things down. And I was like, that's so fucking weird. And so if weird. I want to do Broadway crazy now, which I do, I love it. Do I'm like, do I, okay, do I want to change around the things that happen to be similar about Crazy X? Or do I just yep. say like, well, this is going to be a lot of the same shit <laughs> and just do it as is. And I don't know. And in what, how... How interested are you in the idea of doing Crazy X on on stage? Very interested. We are yeah. we are actively uh, looking into it and pursuing it. Yes. After the show is done. Oh yes, During, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and we want to do four seasons, which means that right, which has been uh, sort of the idea from the beginning. It sounds yeah, like. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Which means, it, I mean, if we stick to that plan, which if we get renewed, mm. which I think we will, knock on wood, um, and I don't think we wouldn't do unless the CW is like please, please, please do a fifth season, but we're like their lowest rated show. I don't think they're going to beg us to do anything beyond of what we, you know, want to do. Uh, it means a year from now, I'll be done shooting the entire series. Right. God. That's weird. We're going to talk about what your plans after that uh, yeah. momentarily. Okay. But, um, farming. What Farming, yeah. yeah. Skiing. One of the things that I, uh, a lot of theater fans really respond to in the show is just the number of sort of familiar faces from the stage who show up in the show. Yeah. Like there's Donald and Champlin, probably mm-hmm. most notably, who plays your friend. Well, I've been who, a fan of since... I was going to ask, did you know her before? Y- y- yes. So I've been a fan of Donald since middle school because I own the album to this show called Three, uh-huh. which yeah. only was in L.A., directed by Hal Prince. Yep. And she sings this song in it called The Air is Free that I've been listening to, honestly, since middle school. And then I saw her in the Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd twice. Yeah, she was great. And there's also Vincent Rodriguez III, who mm-hmm. was in Here Lies Love. And there was Santino Fontano, who um, was in Cinderella. And just recently, um, Rory O'Malley from yeah. Hamilton and Book of Mormon showed up. Oh, like, he's so good. Do you and your casting directors seek out Broadway talent specifically for the show? Or is that just how it falls out in a show where it is often required for people to sing and dance? It depends on what we're... I mean... What starts to happen, especially when we're casting these guest parts at this point, is we're thinking, who's who do we know that's also a fan of the show that we can just offer this to? Like Rory, we knew was a fan. Right. We offered, we just, you know, wrote right. that for him, offered right. it to him. Um, you know, with auditioning everyone for the series, acting was always the most important part. And the only reason, I mean, main, the main reason I wanted to do New York auditions was, yes, for the Broadway talent, but also for... The diversity. I mean, especially in casting mm. the role of Josh Chan, right. I knew that at the time, uh, Asian American actors had more chances in theater than they did auditioning for TV and film. And I just, I was like, I just feel like we're going to find the guy in New York. I feel like he's a theater actor. And sure enough, right when we were auditioning, Here Lies Love was playing off Broadway. Oh. When Vinny heard that he got cast as Josh Chan, he was about to walk on stage for the finale of Here Lies Love on a night and he started crying and stuff. And so, right. uh, so, so my point is everyone who auditioned for the pilot, had they not been able to sing a note would have gotten the parts anyway. There isn't, there is not one person we have cast in this show because, because they're singing made up for the fact maybe their acting wasn't right. as good as someone. It's always been acting first. Interesting. And so the show is in its third season now. And in recent episodes, it's taken a really notable turn into talking really explicitly about someone dealing with mental health issues and yeah. sort of struggling with it. Was that always part of the plan? Yes. 
I mean, I think inherent in the show in doing a fucked up romantic comedy is exploring the reality of if you found yourself in a romantic comedy situation. Mm. And the reality is a lot of things we do for love are mentally ill. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things about love uh, coincide with mental illness. Right. I mean, they've scanned the brains of people in love and it overlaps with OCD. It's literally the chemicals that happen in your brain. Yeah, I think I, I could be wrong about this. I'm trying to remember the facts exactly, but it's when you're in love, you experience bursts of dopamine simultaneously with, with, uh, drops, with drops in your serotonin, which is what happens when you're both on cocaine and have OCD. I could be wrong about that. I'm sorry, science people out there. Well, I like it. I like it. Let's well, but go that's it. why. But that's why, yeah. for instance, uh, fun fact, I'm on Prozac because I have slightly low serotonin. Mm-hmm. The reason I've been with my husband for a long time, but I still remember all the heartbreaks I had so well, and they really affected me because my serotonin's already low. Mm. Falling in love made it drop even more and then gave me these like bursts of dopamine, which is how addiction forms. Right, right. And so why is mental health and how, why is that an important issue for you to address in, uh, in popular culture is it something that you feel like pop culture has gotten wrong in the past yeah or, yeah you know? i felt like it's been pretty misrepresented and i also feel like a lot of people don't know about it mm-hmm. especially the thing that we have um rebecca diagnosed with which is yep. this thing called borderline personality disorder which affects approximately i want to say it's like 1.5 percent of the population um personality disorders are you know incredibly common but no one knows what they are and I have uh, I don't have it but I have very very personal experience with people who have had it and some people don't who don't know that they have it or don't right. know they have a personality disorder and there's a real stigma in general with depression and anxiety and, and all of this stuff um, that you just need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and I think it's in, in a way it's different when you're hearing voices or when it's something that's like oh that's inarguably something chemical right but there's there's a certain disdain upon people who are, you know, depressed and have to go on medication or need therapy or who are anxious. Well, just snap out of it. Stop worrying. And it's just, it's not under, it's not understood. And as a child, I, I mean, I still have anxiety, but as a kid, I, when I hit puberty, I developed what I now, in talking to doctors, have realized was pretty bad OCD um, in the form of kind of intrusive looping thoughts and I thought I was the only one mm-hmm. and these were like shameful thoughts about like sex and and like it just just very very weird shameful thoughts and I just thought I was a weirdo and when I would tell people about it they'd look at me like I was a weirdo and just knowing that like oh no other people have had this and this is something that can be treated. And this is something I, I could have treated. And I wasn't alone. That helps. I think just the knowledge that you're not alone is, for me, half the battle. And I think for a lot of people, half yeah. the battle. And so the winter finale recently aired. Um, what kind of place does it leave Rebecca in? And where does she go from here? Sure. Well, as you know, in the winter finale, what happened was... Um, Rebecca is now in treatment and she's she's very very scared about getting back into the outside world and she's very focused in um, Getting an a-plus in therapy and her doctor says you need to go out and start living life again You need to kind of make some messes, you know part of your personality is this idea of Perfection and fear of getting things wrong and and not understanding that humans have gray areas because that's a main feature of borderline is this thing called splitting where you see the world and yourself as either good or either either evil and you can't reconcile the two to kind of see the nuance and things 
And so Rebecca goes with Paula to uh, Buffalo, where she's from, and Rebecca has fun with, um, Rebecca hangs out with Paula's dad, who's like kind of a piece of garbage to Paula, but the fun-loving, neglectful alcoholic that Re- Rebecca needs to spend time with. And and at the end of it, she decides to, she says like, screw it, and she hooks up with Nathaniel. She finally, she has like sex with Nathaniel. And so that's how Nathaniel who is for people who maybe don't watch the show is her uh, it's her, <laughs> her her boss her boss, yeah. her boss. Yeah. well she's not she well she's not technically at white feather anymore so her former ish boss right um who is kind of if the trope we're playing with him is like the reformed asshole okay yeah um and but we've really really seen his humanity this season and so we kind of leave off in the winter finale of, okay, now she's going to stri- try to embark on love again. And, okay, so where do the core of the show, which is about love and romantic mm-hmm. obsession, and, uh, you know, what's what's sane about love, what's insane about love, and then the actual diagnosis start to meet. And that's what we play with a lot in the second part of the mm-hmm. season. And so what's the angle on season four? Can you talk about that yet? Uh, no, just because right. it'll get into a can of worms. Okay, got it. I tried to um, talk to Alina about it the other day because, you know, we're done writing season three. And she's like, I, I need a minute, babe. I just need a minute. And I'm like, that is fair. <laughs> so a lot of your work is really raunchy and unflinching and downright dirty. And although you can do anything you want on YouTube, like, that's not so true on network television. Yep. What's uh, What's been too dirty or daring for the CW that you really wish you could have gotten in there? Oh, wow. Well, you know, the original... Look, the original pilot that we did for Showtime... Because we, we were really right, it was originally showtime. a Showtime show. Yeah, the makeout scene with Greg was a hand job, blow job scene, which I right. I'm trying to get permission to post online because it was too dirty for the DVD of season two. Apparently, oh wow, uh, yeah, <laughs> they didn't want to put it on. Um, I what was hard because we do dirty versions of the songs. You know, right. I'm thinking yeah. about um heavy boobs mm-hmm. in season one. Yep. In an ideal version, that would have been at the very least braless, where mm-hmm. you could really see boobs kind of like flopping around um and we just couldn't there's only so much tit we can show i mean ideally oh. honestly it would have been topless silhouetted um, okay yeah and i didn't want to we didn't have the bandwidth at that point to do like that full because it would have not even just been a dirty version of the song as much as a different just an entirely video. different yeah yeah and so it's things like that but i'm amazed at the things they let us get away with amazed like what I mean, the song, You Stupid Bitch, the song, I Gave You uh-huh. a UTI, uh, <laughs> a song all about we tap that ass where we yep. can say, where should we finish on her chest? I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Um, how, in- I mean, yeah. go ahead. No, I mean, a little spoiler. We have a song, uh, we have a song coming up about sperm and I'm just like, great. <laughs> we can say that. Awesome. How insane is it to write a weekly hour-long TV show with new songs in it. It's like insane. How, how it's does it... Tell it can, can it be broken down in the way that Broadway thinks about, like, are there composer lyricists and book writers in the writer's room? Like, how does it even work? It's a... It's... It's no. It's a really hard process to describe. I mean, the whole way it's structured is so unorthodox. I mean, so basically, Aline and I co-created the show. Right. Aline is the showrunner and ultimately has ultimate say over... Um, the scripts and everything to do with them. I mean, Alina right. approves every casting, uh, every, you know, every casting, every every person we cast. She approves all the wardrobe. She approves the sets. She's, I mean, she really is the, the boss of the whole operation. Um, I'm more like the unofficial, sh- 
more of the showrunner of Aline still has like final say I'm the showrunner of the songs I supervise um, I'll, I'll do an edit pass of all the songs I script out all of the songs even if they're songs that I didn't write and so that's my domain in addition to I have a lot of say over the writing I mean Aline and right. I still get together and we edit the scripts together I'm in the writer's room for the first two months. I write okay. a lot of the scripts with I assume her. you leave the writer's room after the first two months because you have to go to. be in the show, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, And then the songs are produced by Adam Schlesinger and Stephen Gold. And so that's huge. Now, Adam Schlesinger then also writes a lot of the songs. Okay. And he's also our executive music producer. So I'm like kind of the song showrunner, but he's also the head of the songs and we work together. And then the third songwriter is Jack Dolgen, who who is at all of the sound mixes. He's the representative for the music at every sound mix. He's the one who organizes when the song due dates are, in addition to writing the song. So it's it's very, like, our roles are very, very fluid and mixed. But the songs are down to three people, it sounds like. Yes. Okay. Do you have a, a we need a minimum of, for instance, two songs an episode? No. Okay. No. It's all about what demands. We try to have two. We've only done one episode with one. So theoretically, our minimum is two, but we have an episode coming up actually where we have a short song in the beginning of the episode and then just a reprise. Hmm. So it's two songs. Right. You could also see it as one and a half. Right. Yeah. So I imagine you watched the Tonys a lot as a kid. Yeah. And then you were backstage this year. Yeah. So tell me about that. What, what was your favorite part? Oh, my God. Um, I think what's fun, what was also funny about being at the Tonys was the mix of the wonder, but also knowing some of the people. Uh, Brandon Uranowitz, who was in Falsettos, uh, and I went to school together. And so he, I mean, there's actually a segment where I think he comes by and tries to distract me. And I go, I'm trying to be professional. And so that's really fun when it's, and then I now know Patti Lapone. And so seeing her being like, hey, Patti, that's what's really cool. And in general, that's been so fun. And this is for everyone in the arts to come back to people who you knew in you know college and work with them in a professional capacity Danny Jollis who plays George on Crazy X yeah. uh, I have known him for over 10 years he and I have known each other since college he and I were on an indie improv group together our college sketch group and so that's also really special when you can blend the professional with people who you've known for years do you want to host the Tonys this year yeah of course full on host yeah of course I mean, it's, it would be scary yeah. when people judge you. But yes, yeah. I would love to host <laughs> yeah. the Tony Awards. But that's true of all the stuff you're doing anyway. So, it's true. Right? I don't so. know if I'm famous enough. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm no Kevin Spacey. Well, <laughs> thank God for that. Mm, We're going to let that lie, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, as you mentioned, uh, there's one more season after this of Craziest Girlfriend, in theory. That's yeah. the theory. What's next for you after that? A nap. Yeah. <laughs> a big, big nap. It's like a long, six-month-long nap. Right? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I want to do Broadway. Honestly, a lot of projects. I mean, right now I have to write a book. Yeah, you're and writing a book, right? I'm writing a book, so yeah. i got to work on that. Yep. A lot of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of different stuff. Are there are there musical pre-existing musicals that you would like a role in? Like, are there roles you've always wanted to play? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like what? Dot and Sunday in the Park with George, but yeah. also George and Sunday in the Park with George. <laughs> uh, anything in Assassins. Uh-huh. 
I mean, anything in Cabaret, Harold Hill and the Music Man. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, so the the short answer is yes, of course. Right. And, and, and new musical. I mean, I mean right. the the new musicals coming out. Some of them are just so fantastic. Mm. When did you discover sketch comedy as a sort of outlet? College. Yeah. I got on a sketch group and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. And then the YouTube stuff you did, the sort of the stuff that gave you uh, that sort of attracted a lot of notice, you produced all that yourself, right? Yeah. And I mean, yours is like the best case scenario of that, right? Like oh. you oh, yeah. think you do it and then it attracts attention and then you. Um, w- would you recommend it to every artist? You know, starting out on YouTube now is it's so different mm. because it's the market is so the market the internet now is so oversaturated with sketch comedy. I mean, ultimately, everyone from an artistic standpoint, I think everyone doing comedy should get their start in live comedy, whether it's stand up, live sketch, live improv. The feedback right. of an audience is it's how you learn. I mean, it's mm. how you you learn and how to write. So I think the people who are just doing YouTube with, uh, and this is really in terms of like comedy, who are just kind of going the like, well, I want to get known on YouTube before honing their skills. I would caution against that. Right, right. Because it's, I mean, I spent you know thousands of dollars of my own money. I had to make sure it was good. I was definitely curious about that because yeah. those those videos are really professional and like, how much did that cost? As yeah, a... Fuck Mary Bradbury was yeah. probably I think it was thirty five hundred dollars. Oh wow! You can it's... touch my boobies was. 4500 uh, Mermaid, I think, was like 6000 I blew Jeez. a lot of money on that one. That's and a... that one's my, my like least favorite. Um, oh. And then I started getting funding mm. later on. I mean, still, though, when I did, I did some videos with Crack.com, and, and my budget was only $3,000 oh. for each one. So, and I still I saved money then by producing a lot of those. And I'm not, right. a, great, I'm not a great producer. Right. I can right. do it, but I suck at it. Right. Right. You've got the experience. I mean, I don't no, suck at right. it. I just, I don't, organization in that way is not one of my, like, things that I love doing and not one of my skills. Right, right. Um, in the episodes coming up in the second half of the season, what musicals do you uh, refer to? Ooh. I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm going through my head. Musicals. Yeah. There's a little bit of hair coming up. Mm, excellent. Other than that, there's actually, it's not super musical theater heavy in the second part. It's because we do, we do, there are quite a few reprises coming up. Of songs, of pre-existing, of songs that you've written in in other episodes. Yes. And are they, how clear is it that these are reprises of songs that have existed? There's no no missing it? Is that the, okay. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Rachel. It was great to talk to you. And I can't wait to see what happens with the rest of season three. Thank you. Thanks. That was Rachel Bloom, the creator and star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which recently aired its winter finale and will pick up again with new episodes starting January 5th. Stagecraft will take a couple of weeks off for the holidays, but we'll be back in the new year with more in-depth interviews with Broadway's biggest creators and stars. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.